Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Today, I'd like to start the show by saying a huge personal thank you to Andrew Heaton from the Political Orphanage podcast. Um, yeah, and he mentioned my troubles in, in, in his last episode, and, uh, and his audience has been super helpful and, and nice, and just, yeah, very nice to, to see human kindness and going so far, and it just feels really, really amazing kind of restored my my hope for humanity so please if you haven't checked them out uh, go check out the political orphanage by andrew heaton and uh, i hope that i'll be able to disagree with him some more on the air that would be nice but uh, today's topic well it it is the most bizarre thing i've seen all the all war long it was something that i never even thought and it just it just grew more bizarre as it evolved. First of all, <clears throat> I'll just start with the beginning because, uh, yes, it's all about Bryansk, just, just saying, but we'll get to that. On the morning of March the 2nd, Bryansk governor Alexander Bogomaz announced that a sabotage and reconnaissance group from Ukraine had crossed into the small border town of Lubenchanya, <laughs> allegedly shooting at a vehicle killing a local resident and wounding a 10-year-old child. The governor also reported another attack by Ukraine's armed forces in the town of Shushani after a drone strike allegedly started a fire in the residential building. An unconfirmed report soon spread on Telegram that between 40 and 50 saboteurs had entered the Bryansk region on Thursday. And it was all insane, because it also involves a group called the Russian Volunteer Corps, which everyone thought wouldn't even exist because there were legit doubts about this, even on conflict conflict intelligence team, and now it turns out they do, and it's just insane. In the hours that followed the apparent incursions into the two towns of Bryansk, Russian state media declined to broadcast any footage from on the ground, perhaps due to, in part, of alleged drone strikes that happened at the same time against surveillance cameras at near nearby border checkpoints. Thursday's reports about all these events in the two towns outside Bryansk were contradictory, with uh, some state propaganda outlets claiming that a school bus came under gunfire and that kids had died in ton, though local officials obviously denied this account and there was like nothing else happened and everything. Some news outlets also reported that militants took hostages in both towns and later engaged in a firefight with the Russian troops. District officials in Sushani, however, never verified that hostages were taken of any kind. A bunch of other journalists who also wrote about explosions at a power substation at a gas station at Shoshani, but nothing of this happened as well. So it did happen in all the situation. By the evening, by the way, the, the, the weirdest part of the whole report was that uh, <clears throat> by, the evening, by the evening they reported that, quote, in order to avoid casualties among the civilian population and damage to civilian infrastructure, the enemy has been forced back into Ukrainian territory where they were subjected to a massive artillery strike. And you know, massive artillery strike in Ukrainian territory is just bizarre. And, uh, well, from my knowledge of how their security works, it's one of those tales of, um, well, we couldn't get them and uh, it was all a mess. We had to react and, uh, well, let's just say we struck them with artillery. No one's going to check anyways. Obviously, the, the artillery attack never happened, there's no verification, none of that sort. <laughs> Ukrainian side, they've been a bit sneaky about Thursday's incursion. They're denying Kyiv's involvement and calling the incident a classic provocation. 
Though some have framed the militant actions as a sort of demonstration of a supposedly wider partisan movement growing inside Russia. For example, Mikhailo Podolyak, his advisor for Zelensky, wrote on Twitter that growing poverty in Russia is fueling a stronger and more aggressive partisan movement. Fear your partisans, Podolyak tweeted. Andriy Yusov, a spokesman for Ukraine's military intelligence directorate, called the incursion the continuation of Russia's transformation and said maybe Russians are starting to wake up to realize something and take some concrete steps. Shortly after the first reports about this incursion in the Bryansk region were just happening, a video circulated online showing two armed men standing in front of a building bearing a sign that read Lyubenshanya Medical and Obstetrical Station. The footage apparently originally was on Telegram channel of the Russian Volunteer Corps, which again is the organization which literally everyone doubted even existed. They are tied to that movement that um, also claimed they blew up uh, Dugin's daughter, just, just so you know. In the short clip, these guys stated that they are not at war with civilians and that they call on ordinary Russian citizens to rise up and fight. On Telegram, the group also promised more videos that will supposedly refute criticisms and claims about, made by, about their exploits. And this is a fancy way of saying that, uh, yeah, you know, every time someone mentions them, well, as there's literally no evidence about their existence before this, yeah, it was just weird since a lot of people in conflict intelligence team and this whole military media in total, we thought this was just, you know, some random fake, just as the Dugin explosion. Because, again, they're hiding their identities, obviously, but no one thought it could be done so well, and there's also kind of no reports about their actions from other troops that are about in the same area. Like, that's how I counter-check everything. It was not there, so this struck me as odd about this Bryansk and this situation. It's just crazy. And then, a second video, apparently recorded in Lyubenshanya, also is happening online, showing these two men identifying themselves as this RDK combatants. In this footage, they raise the blue and white Russian Volunteer Corps flag while standing in front of a post office as gunfire is audible in the background. And um, journalists at a site called iStories later spoke to a militant who allegedly took part in the incursion. And he described this kind of operation thus, quote, I just got back from there. There were 45 of us on this one. We went in, finished filming, and ambushed two infantry fighting vehicles. I didn't see any kids wounded, but one border guard was injured. Nobody took any hostages. And yet another video, <laughs> which apparently also was recorded by these militants, who crossed on the Sunday, also surfaced online, but it features only an unseen narrator at the sound of a single gunshot. The pro war Z channels, especially the one that is just one of the more aggressive ones, you, you've probably heard of that one, I use it quite often, also posted a photo showing a supposed Ukrainian saboteur carrying a sign apparently ripped from the exterior wall of the town's recreation center. And it's all a bit weird. Just a bit crazy. The star of this guy, or this whole situation, the man in the footage from Lyubenchanya, who calls for an uprising, is a 38-year-old Denis Kapustin. A neo-Nazi born in Moscow. Yes, I told you it gets insane. I told you it gets insane. But follow me through. A neo-Nazi born in Moscow who moved uh, with his family to Germany in 2001, reportedly. And ironically, given his political views today, as Jewish refugees. So we have people who are neo-Nazis who move away from Russia to Germany as neo uh, as Jewish refugees. And he's the one in... Oh, just follow... Let's follow this through, okay? Within a few months, this guy secured a permanent residence permit that we, he would use in the years ahead to build connections with right-wing groups across Europe. 
And according to journalists at my, my other friends at Agenstva, Kapustin became immersed in the violent cultures of street fighting and soccer hooliganism while living in Germany. Adopting the surname Nikitin, which he still prefers to this day, he was, in his own words, a street guy and a skinhead, knocking skulls. At some point, Nikitin returned to Russia and became involved at the CSKA, Moscow fan movement. He also started organizing MMA fighting tournaments that attracted local far-right activists, and he was obviously soon traveling throughout Europe, engaging members of the Germany's neo-Nazis and the Italian fascists and everyone. In fact, in 2017, uh, extremism expert Robert Klaus called Nikitin a key figure among right-wing extremists in Europe and one of the most dangerous neo-Nazis on the continent. In 2008, Nikitin sought to commercialize his appeal within the right-wing community and launched his own fashion brand called White Rex, which markets clothing with thinly veiled Nazi symbols like t-shirts that read SS for sweet and sexy and apparel featuring neo-Nazi symbols like the Black Sun and the so-called 14 words. Nikitin has endorsed racist precepts common among neo-Nazis, namely white supremacy. He's also fond of comparing non-white people to apes. And in 2016, he helped instigate mass brawls between Russian and English soccer fans during the European Football Championship. Still organizing MMA tournaments, Nikitin relocated in 2017 to Ukraine, where he established close ties with the members of the Azov Regiment. Which, you know, <laughs> in the early days, yeah, they weren't the nicest guys. Now they're shifted. I guarantee you that, which I've said multiple times. Right now, they've been integrated, reorganized, and these guys like Nikitin have no place there at all. And he was like moving around there, but in 2019, German officials banned Nikitin from entering the EU for the next 10 years on the grounds that his neo-Nazi activism constitutes a public safety threat. Journalists at Der Spiegel later wrote that the Ukrainian authorities once detained Nikitin on suspicion of drug tra trafficking, but this sadly wasn't confirmed. My journalist colleagues stated this is a classified. In the fall of uh, last year, Nikitin created the Russian Volunteer Corps from ethnic Russians to fight on the side of Ukraine against the invasion. It's unknown how many fighters are there in the group because the organizers conceal the information. Nikitin has said that other nationalities have their own specialized volunteer battalions in Ukraine, but there is nothing exclusively for Russians until this unit. Now, obviously, and uh, I, many people understand that, this, that these guys decided to make their own little thing since... Um, yeah, they were pushed out of Azov and bigger things because, again, nobody really wants to be associated with fucking neo-Nazis. But this whole thing, again, makes it all weird. So, yeah, if everyone claims that there are Nazis on the Ukrainian side or whatever, they're probably talking about this very specific guy. Which, again, is bizarre. But it is what it is. Gotta be honest with you, even with such weird studies. According to Nikitin, RDK started interacting, that's the precise wording here, with Ukraine's armed forces in August 2022, but it wasn't recognized as a formal unit within the military. Quote, I had to get to the president of Ukraine to declare ourselves and ask for this chance to fight officially. The president gave the green light and everything started moving in a single day, Nikitin claims. On October 2022, RDK published its own manifesto where it identified itself as part of Ukraine's armed forces. But Ukrainian officials have always actively denied any ties, obviously. Citing various ideological differences, Nikitin has also been clear that the Russian Volunteer Corps do not collaborate with militants in the Freedom of Russia Legion. 
another unit comprising Russian nationals who also probably don't exist and who are also fighting the Ukraine side as they claim, but you know, at least one of them, one of them exists. And uh, it's getting on with this madness. In 2019, a high-ranking German intelligence officer told Der Spiegel that Nikitin is perhaps closer to the Russian authorities than we can currently prove. Then and now, however, other experts say it's very unlikely that Nikitin has ties to Russia's special services, partly because he's spent the last several years living in Ukraine. Following the first reports on March the 2nd about this whole incursion in the Bransk region, a lot of news outlets stated that Russia's National Security Council would hold an emergency meeting later in the day to discuss the attacks. Girkin was also kind of weird about that situation. And if the meeting had actually happened and led to the rapid adoption of the new war measures, that might suggest that Kremlin knew in advance about the incursions and planned its response. But, well, Peskov, the guy with the mustache who was the spokesman for Putin, certified that the next National Security Council meeting wouldn't be until March the 3rd as previously scheduled. Meanwhile, we have more anonymous sources telling journalists, in this case Vierska Media, that the president would meet later in the day with individual Security Council members to craft a response to Thursday's events. So we don't know how this is going to happen in general. And yeah, Putin did make a public statement, speaking with a teleconference at a, te at a teacher's ceremony, of all places, denouncing the incursions as, as a terrorist attack. So it's all weird. But this isn't the first incursion into Russia. See, in 2022, in December, the FSB reported multiple attempted sabotage and terrorist acts in the Bransk region. On December 26th, for example, the FSB said border guards killed four Ukrainian combatants in an alleged sabotage group that crossed into Russia with plans to commit terrorist attacks. The agency also released a video showing bloodied bodies lying in the snow and later named the dead man, allegedly fighters from the Bratstvo Battalion, a volunteer group of Ukrainian special forces without formal ties to the military. And I'll get to Bratstva, it's also a weird, weird thing back then, but you just kind of you have to know it's a bit unofficial. Journalists at The Insider noted several oddities and inconsistencies in the FSB's video, like the fact that the killed saboteurs are wearing clean boots despite allegedly having marched many miles across the border. Additionally, the Bratstva Battalion isn't previously known to have participated in any operations behind enemy lines, which also makes it weirder. Following December's alleged incursions, officials in Bryansk reported the, the completion and reinforcements of fortifications in the, in the defense line along the border with Ukraine. Judging by the photographs, these barricades are various structures and dragon's teeth anti-tank barriers, which are totally useless and probably a lot of money were stolen because of this. And together with United Russia Party boss Andrei Turchak, the governor Bogomaz personally inspected the upgraded defense line. This characteristic hyperbole in, you know, how they do when they open a new trash can or something. He declared the new fortifications were groundbreaking. Not even a mouse will sleep through, he added, which means he's probably stolen a lot of money about this, about this stuff personally. So it's all weird. Because the Russian border service has abandoned that linear approach. There's all sorts of nonsense. And, and I don't know. It, it seems that with this response and everything, it's, it's there to probably show the weakness of Russia's current border defenses, maybe. But my personal theory is that these guys probably over there, you know, they watch the same Russian channels as I do. Although they're a bit freaky and no one likes them. And they got really angry at Conflict Intelligence Team and Michael Naki and, and those reports that they always stated that they're, these guys are fake. They're totally, you know, it doesn't look like a real thing because it's too stupid. And they decided to prove him otherwise. So they went to Bryansk. Then just madness happened. And then there are drones near Moscow as well. 
integrate in, co in Togo coordination with this. Multiple drones, long-range drones, like repurposed the Soviet reconnaissance drones, got used by Ukrainians to basically travel long distances, and the closest one that happened was, you know, 75 kilometers from Moscow. The problem is, reports on that are just kind of like the ones that we see in this article about how mass artillery strike, yeah, right, on the other side of the border. Totally happened. I'm reading reports here that state that um, the drone was destroyed, but the, the, the shards from the fallen, damaged drone managed to injure three people. I really wonder how, how can you injure, injure three people? Where, where, where were they standing? What were they thinking about? What's going on? How do you injure three people with shards from a falling, kind of technically destroyed drone? Obviously, they reached some targets, but we ne we'll never know. And now, all the Vatnik channels, all the Z channels are full of these journalists, journalists, right, who uh, are just panicking, and how can Ukraine do this, and everything. I think they're starting to understand that, you know, war is just not a one-way street, and that, you know, you can't really make an omelette without breaking a few eggs. So, stuff's getting interesting again, and of course, I'll try my best to cover this, but... Uh, Bryansk, Bryansk goes right next to that general who got into a, uh, into, into a shooting fight in, in the, the Crimean bar or something. That's all just so bizarre. At any rate, that's it for today. We'll be back soon. Um, we're back on Apple Podcasts, if we were missing, by, by the way, for a bit. Also, um, again, once again, thanks to Andrew Heaton and Political Orphanage Podcast. You guys are gr the greatest. And yeah. If you want to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash the eastern border. I have finally fixed that RSS feed that people told me to fix there. So you can listen ads free straight from Patreon. So if you become a supporter, and then you can always go to theeasternborder.lv, where also everything is ad free, and you can just make a one time donation if you like. We will, of course, appreciate it very, very much. I have to pay on that soon as well. And um, yeah, until next time, something bizarre comes up. До свидания, товарищи. As always, happiness is mandatory.